Good morning, everyone. And I am so excited to see Caleb here this morning. It's good to see you, man. Very excited for what God is doing in in your life. And I know you can't see him from the camera, but he's put on about 50 pounds of muscle. (laughs) Makes me feel smaller standing next to him now. Yeah, but God's given given you a, a testimony to use for him. Yes. Use it. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, open in prayer this morning. Father, we worship you and we love you. We trust you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for what you do in the hearts of your children that seek you. Because you promise when we seek you, we will find you. But there is a prerequisite, and that is that we seek you. It has to come from our heart, because you know our heart. You look at our heart. So God, I pray this morning that you search our hearts. And know our desire for you. Know our desire to walk in your will. To be aware of your presence. And of your plan that you choose to reveal. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that which you have for us. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, God. Fill my mouth with your words, only none of my own. You know my heart's desire is that I decrease and you increase. So I ask that you speak only what you want. And that you help me not to take any liberties of my own. I lay my heart before you in that, and I give you my mouth. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into what God has this morning, I did want to mention just as kind of a follow-up from last week. We have a group that is going to Nigeria. We leave In fact, seven days from today, we'll leave uh, next Sunday evening flying out. Um, It is a group of seven of us, and that that was something that uh, uh, the Lord designed kind of last minute. I can't help. He's done this before and has been very quiet and tight-lipped about what he has done before, and I know how that turned out. I know, obviously, 2020, hindsight's 2020, and we can look back and see what he did those times. And so it creates an excitement inside of my heart. And I, I can't even fundamentally tell you why. You know, like, well, this is what the Lord's going to do, because he's been very tight-lipped to us about this trip. 
but I know the originally it was just Josh and I going, and when that changed, in simply that change, the Lord revealed something that it, 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 that this is not a normal trip. And, and I shared all that last week. I'm not going to go through that again. What I do want to say, though, and I do want to reiterate from last week, is this is not just about those people going. And, and please hear me. This is critical for this church to understand. It is not just about those seven people going. It's about this church right here. It's about those online who call themselves Ignition call themselves part of this church. Your involvement in this trip is critical. And, by the way, it's expected. And I'm not saying expected by me. I'm saying expected by the Lord. Your involvement in this trip is about prayer and unity of that prayer, of what the Lord will choose to do when we're there. So, he has, I, I mentioned that last week. I know we put out um, on God Squad, and I'll say it again this morning. Anybody who is interested and willing to be a part of prayer over everything that is going on there, I want you to let us know. You can, Bren is the one who is kind of coordinating that. You can let her know uh, if you want to reach out to her online. If you if you don't know how to reach out to her or anything else, you could reach out to me or any of us, any of the leadership, and we will get you in contact with her to be added to a list. On that list, you will be getting updates as to what's going on while we're there. Now, by the way, the point of joining this group, please, is not so you just get the updates and know what's going on. I mean, the purpose is for you to engage and be in prayer over what is going on. And so I encourage you to be a part of it. But if you're a part of it, I am really asking you to be engaged with it. Because what the Lord wants is this church to be united in prayer behind what he is going to do there. Again, I wish I could tell you what that is, but I could tell you I feel it in my spirit, that it is pretty big. We know it's the beginning of a new phase in Nigeria, but not just Nigeria, ignition all around. And and so the Lord will reveal as we go on. So I wanted to put it out there that there's an opportunity for you to be a part of that prayer team. Reach out to Bryn or reach out to one of us so we can we can get you uh, uh, added to that team. The other thing that I want to mention that the Lord had laid on several of our hearts is church-wide, if you choose to participate, obviously we're not going to force you, <laughs> but he has called for a fast. He has called for a three-day fast specifically for this trip. That fast will begin tomorrow at 6 p.m. It'll be a three-day fast. It'll go... Beginning Monday at 6 p.m., go through Thursday at 6 p.m. And that fast, you can go before the Lord. That's right, right? 
Tuesday, Wednesday, th- yeah, that's three days. <laughs> Gotta make sure my math is right. Um, but go before the Lord. If, if you choose to involve yourself with this, which I hope you do, go before the Lord and ask Him what that fast is to look like for you. He didn't, he didn't give us some mandate as to how we're all supposed to do it. You're supposed to go before the Lord yourself, and he'll show you what he wants in that fast with you. The only thing that he did say is we're all to be doing it at the same time, and together it was to be for the three days. So, so that's why we're putting it out there that it will begin tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. and go through Wednesday at 6 p.m. And if you have any questions about that or any anything else, comments or whatever, please feel free to reach out about that as well because that was another exciting point for me. Because the Lord does not just have a fast on, on a whim, especially a church-wide thing. Every time that he has done it, has been a moment of breakthrough for this ministry in an extraordinary way. I remember the first, I don't know if it was the first full church fast we did, but that 40-day fast, was that our first church-wide fast? Do you remember, Wendy? No? A 21-day first? Well, I'm sure stuff broke out then, too. But I remember that 40-day fast. And... Things that broke out in that 40-day fast, I mean, to this day, amaze me. Giftings that broke out that are just amazing what God did. So, so again, engage with this and be part of it. And if you have any questions, um, certainly feel free to reach out and be engaged if you want to be a part of that team. Um, Reach out to Bryn or reach out to one of us. We'll get you connected with Bryn. So we'll get into what the Lord has for this morning. And it's it's really interesting to me because um, there's a lot here. <laughs> okay, he's had me in the book of Joel all week. And, and I've, I've been through Joel many, many times, and I, I know this will put a smile on Shannon's face because she's been in Joel so many times. She and I have actually talked about it a little bit. Um, but he had me in Joel all week, but then he started taking me through these different areas of Scripture, talking about different things, and, and in my mind I'm kind of like, you know, I, uh, this wasn't new to me. I, I know this. Um, and and so I, I wanted to know what he wanted because of that. And, and I thought throughout the week, I, I didn't realize that he was going to have me talk about it this morning. I mean, maybe that should have been a thought in my mind. But when I was with him this morning, he started putting some of these scriptures together. So this morning we're going to go to and go through a lot of scripture. And it is for the purpose of scripturally showing something to you that you will need when people come to you and ask what's going on. This is important. You need to write these scriptures down. We we obviously have the podcast. You go back and re-listen, write them down. 
But these are things that the Lord has shown. But one thing he revealed this week to me was some proofs in Scripture of things that have been hidden. Right? We know, we know Paul talked about this mystery in the Old Testament, that, that the mystery of the bride, the mystery of the church, it wasn't seen in the Old Testament. He said he had the privilege of revealing it, that the Gentiles were literally grafted in to the promise, the same promise that was given Israel. That was hidden in the past. It was hidden in the Old Testament. Now, what's wild is, as, as you start to see that when he revealed it, you could then go back to the Old Testament, you could see there were kind of hints to that point. And, and not even just hints, but flat out clues. But not so much that the enemy would catch on, which is, I think, what God wanted to do. Well, even more so now, some 2,000 years later, God is beginning to reveal some things because they are of a timely manner. They're things that he's doing with his bride. Right? We've talked about a lot of these, and, and what's interesting is you hear prophets that say a lot of stuff that at, at the beginning is like, what? Okay, never heard that before. That's a little different. Never heard that before. Well, Acts 17.11, we're to take everything to Scripture and prove it out. Right? It isn't that we write off what God says through the prophets. I mean, please, please don't do that. You're making a huge mistake if you do that. But what you do have to do is prove it out. And we've talked about all this. This isn't anything new. But what I want to do today is go through this idea of proving out what the Lord is doing right now. And we're going to, as I said, be in a lot of different, a few different places, a lot of different scripture. Um, in a couple of the places, I need to read the entire thing to give you a wider scope of what's going on. So we're, we're going to begin in 2 Peter. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, it's obvious, if you've been in this world for any length of time now, it's obvious politically we are in a different climate. And, and I don't mean politically like a Republican, Democrat. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm also not talking about just here in the United States. I'm talking about globally. The leadership is different in the way they are pushing and operating now versus how they've been in the past. Right? We see distinct difference. For those of us who are older, right, who have been around a while, we can see. Because I remember 20 years ago, I remember thinking that, you know, well, it's just a matter of time before it gets kind of back to our way of thinking. Right? They'll have their eight years, we have our eight years, and, and, you know, kind of push this idea and the differences all, uh, meanwhile, the entire time, God's way keeps losing more ground. Right? Even through the good leadership here in America, 
You know, I, I don't a lot of the young people here would, wouldn't have known, but, but the older people here, you remember Reagan. I remember Reagan. I remember being so excited about him being in office that finally we have somebody that'll stand up and be strong. And we got, we actually got almost 12 years out of that. I mean, kind of lame duck there toward the end, but we got eight years out of him. And then it kind of flipped the other way. And, and you're like, oh, okay, well, we have to endure until it flips back. I want to encourage you. Don't feel that way right now. Because we're in different times. We are in different times. And not so much because, well, the sin is just so rampant. We're in different times. No, the sin's always been rampant. The difference is that now God is exposing that sin. He is exposing it because it cannot hide any longer. Deception over this nation, over the world as a blanket spirit has been taken away. You may not believe that. Doesn't matter. Look at the evidence. Because the evidence is all over the place. Right? The enemy is being revealed in what his plan is. We've shared before, and I want to encourage you, if you have any questions about that, especially if you're new with us online, um, to go back to September, I think it was September 30th of 2019, right? That was before COVID, right? Yeah. yeah. September 30th, I believe it was, of 2019, there was a message that the Lord gave me. And it was, it was the first introduction, I believe, of the three woes. Um, or or it, that, see, that began the season of the Lord speaking of that. I can't remember exactly when he talked about the three woes. But the first woe took place. Now, by the way, the, the, the woes, and man, it just, there's so much here. It's, it's hard to put into one, one message. I'm trying to give some, some uh, just some foundation, and there's so much just to the foundation. Um, you know what? Go back and listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast, email me, I'll answer any questions. I, I just, it, it would literally take hours to try and lay the foundation of this. But, but go back and listen. It's, it's all in the messages. But what is coming is the day of the Lord. Now, first thing a Christian would think of in their mind is, wait a second, are we in the tribulation? Because the day of the Lord... It, it, it comes, you know, toward the end of the tribulation and before Jesus comes and, and all of that. And, and ten years ago, I would have 100% agreed with you on that. But that's what Scripture is revealing through this mystery called the bride that is a little bit different. No, and I've preached this before, there are foreshadowings that are happening to the bride that will happen in regards to Israel during the tribulation. We've talked about that before. What is happening now is not the tribulation that we see in Revelation. 
This is not that seven-year period of judgment of the earth, of the nations, for the sake of Israel. No, in fact, this is the judgment of the bride. Because the scripture says that the church is always judged first. And in the grand scheme of global things, that's what's happening right now. The bride is being judged. To bring God's justice on the earth is to purify his bride. What does that mean? That means a bride who walks in purity with him. And and not just having a list of things that they do that from the outside look really good. That's not what purity is. If that was purity, then the Pharisees shouldn't have had, any, shouldn't have had a difficulty with Jesus. Because on the outside, they were all squeaky clean. Jesus said it himself. But the inside, they were rancid. And that's the truth of many in the bride. Many who know Jesus Christ as Savior, which qualifies you to be part of the bride, but yet do not have relationship with him. Do not open up their hearts to know him and for him to lead. This foreshadowing, this day of the Lord, I want to lay before you, will happen twice. I don't know if they'll be exactly the same. Doesn't really matter. Because the judgment or God's justice will fall on his house first. And then the second will be what we have all known to be for Israel's sake in the tribulation. What is happening now, the Lord, it's interesting to me how he lays out the trumpets 5, 6, and 7 in Revelation and yet lays them out separately also which is an indication that there's something else there. Remember at the beginning of chapter 9 in Revelation, it talks about the eagle that flies around and says, whoa, 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 right? Woe to the earth, for these next three are huge. The next three trumpets, 5, 6, and 7. Well, if you read those, you have the first woe, which was a five-month period, a 150-day period that was a warning. That's what it talks about in chapter 9. It was a warning. That's exactly what happened to us. I can't remember the exact dates, but it was roughly March to the end of June, right around there. It was 150 days in 2020, last, last year, so a year and a half ago. We had what, what I'm referring to, for lack of a better term, the first woe. We had this warning. It was when COVID became known and all the lockdowns happened and everything happened during that time frame. But God said at the end of that time that people would have a choice. They would be in a valley of decision. And in that decision would be, are they going to open them? And by the way, this is primarily the bride. These are those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But it's that line that was drawn in the sand to say, do you trust me? Jesus Christ saying that. Do you trust me? Do you trust God? Or do you want to control things for yourself? 
And that line over the months got deeper and deeper and deeper. Just like scoring, scoring on like a tile, the way you score a tile to cut it is you cut deeper, deeper, deeper till it's through enough. You can pop it and it breaks. And it breaks a clean line. That's what God started to do. Scoring that line deeper. Making people choice choose. It, it, it was just extraordinary to me how you see people that, you know, especially, obviously, public faces, but, but even in, you could, you could identify in your own life just personal people, but, but in public places that would strategically ride the fence. Right? Strategically not say something that they're on this side or this. Because they don't want to offend. They want to they keep their influence as wide as it can be. And God just kept cutting that line a little bit deeper. And, and it was so funny how they were literally forced to say what they thought. And you see it on an individual basis with friends. I'm sure everybody here could point out somebody that they've seen where, where this all just comes out. Because it was all leading up to where we are now. Which is the second woe. The second woe started last August. And not a year ago, a couple of months ago, August. I find it interesting. The Lord told us it's a three and a half year period. I find it interesting that it ends... The very, I mean, I have to look at the days, but almost within days of what would be the current administration's term. I was going to say fake administration, but I mean, they're not fake, just their authority is. But think about that. In this second woe, the Lord said... It will be a foreshadowing of what you see in Genesis, I mean in Revelation chapter 9, the second woe. And, and again, I've shared all this before. I'm just giving some fillers so you understand the scripture that we're going to. In this second woe, there is going to be death. In fact, massive death. Death in numbers like the world has never seen. At least since the flood. I don't know how many people were on the earth then. But the scripture talks about a third of the world. And if this is a foreshadowing of that, I'll leave that to be between you and the Lord. What the Lord did tell me is that there are three facets in which death will occur. And those three facets are the sword and pestilence, and his creation. The sword's pretty obvious. It's where somebody kills another person, or somebody perhaps kills themselves. It is a violent death in that way, by choice. Pestilence, that's another pretty obvious one. right? That's, that's sickness, that's, that's disease, something that comes upon us. And then the third one, he said, my creation. And that one is the most unique one to really dive into. And we're not going to do that this morning. I, that's not the purpose of this. But, but I encourage you to read what the Bible says regarding the transformation of creation. 
right? Creation already transformed once, right? It transformed from the point of the fall, which was Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden, to the point of Noah getting on that ark. The world changed at that point. And really the process of the earth changed in those 1,500 years, but dramatically changed in 150 days. Dramatically changed. We're going to go through another change. The Bible talks about it. Read Revelation 21, where a new heaven and a new earth is going to be made. Now, the interesting thing to me, I always thought that that would be after God, you know, after the great white throne judgment, because chronologically it is after that in scripture and, and kind of all of this. And then, you know, all of the abyss is cast to, you know, Hades is cast into the abyss and all of it's cast into the lake of fire. They're all gone. Everything's gone. Everything, and we're all standing there and God says, okay, now we're going to recreate. I mean, that's, kind of how I thought about it for years. And, and I was talking to the Lord about it. And, and I don't believe at all that's the way it's going to be, simply because that's not how God does things. And as he began to show me what that looks like, he started to show me scriptures about creation's reaction to what God does and what sin has done. He said, my creation groans, right? When Jesus walked into Jerusalem for the, before he was put to death, he walked in the triumphal entry. And, and remember, that's when the Pharisees said, oh, tell your, tell your followers to be quiet. They shouldn't be praising in that way. It's kind of like, it's almost like it's pointing you out as the Messiah. And he said, if I would have them be silent, the very rocks would cry out. Why? Because creation, his creation, is waiting for what God is about to do. There will be a violent reaction to that change. But I want to encourage you, that violent reaction, that's part of what will cause this death in the woe. When he said my creation, you know, that, that's, I don't know, use your imagination. I know many prophets have seen these visions of tidal waves. Now, we also equate that with the tidal wave of the Holy Spirit, because that is coming. That is even upon us. But I don't doubt that some of those are literal. I don't doubt that there will be earthquakes. If you look in, the, in Revelation about the earthquakes that will come, there are earthquakes that will literally rock the earth. That's hard to imagine. I, I lived in California for, I think, eight years. I felt earthquakes. I felt pretty big earthquakes. I felt tremors. Right? You, you pretty much have to be within some miles. I, I remember here, there, wasn't there that earthquake that was down near D.C. or something? We could kind of feel it all the way up here. We yeah, we felt it. Now, can you imagine an earthquake happening in China and you feel it here? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be pretty much an earthquake that rocks the world, right? 
Bible talks about some of those. This is all for the purpose of readying the bride. This is all for the purpose of bringing his bride to a place of walking in purity before him. So, again, we're in Second Peter. This idea of two days of the Lord. Now, by the way, when you're reading scripture, when you're studying this day of the Lord, this is not a 24-hour day. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. If, if, you, if you pull it up and study it, it is a period of time. Okay? It, it is not, the day of the Lord is not 24-hour day and all this stuff happens. No, you can look at it more in, in today's vernacular of the time of the Lord. In other words, this is the time of the Lord's justice of what he will do. So let's start in chapter 3. Second Peter, and I'm just going to read the first uh, maybe 12 verses or so. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. In other words, now remember, this was 2,000 years ago, and Peter's saying, you need to pay attention to this. I'm trying to stir up your mind to pay attention. Don't put it off because it has application to you. He was saying that 2,000 years ago, right? So it had application to them right then. But we know historically it didn't happen to them. Not yet. It still means we have to be stirred up about it today. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. By the way, in the last days, that's such a nominal term. I don't know about you. When I think of the last days, I think of the last few days. But Peter literally declared when he got up and preached for the first time after Pentecost, that we are in those last days. So those last days began. Literally, the church age began the process of the last days. So if anything, you can say, you're in the last of the last days. So if it was important for you to pay attention to it then, it's critical for you to pay attention to it now. Scoffers will come in those last days with scoffing. That certainly has happened. And it will get worse, just so you know. Following their own sinful desires. Now, by the way, those scoffers, that's not the world, guys. That's not the world. That's not who it's talking about here. It's talking about the bride. It's talking about people that know Jesus Christ as Savior that will scoff because they do not want that intimacy with Him, have not walked in that purity with Him, that literally bring that closeness with Him. Justification of sin does not purchase that for you. It purchases your eternal life. It does not purchase your purity. It does not Purchase your intimacy with him. That's something that does require of you. If it didn't, we'd all just be robots. But it requires a friendship, requires you to be a friend. Right? 
If someone's building a friendship with you, you can't just sit back and say, yeah, let me know when we're friends and when we're really close so I can enjoy that. No, it takes your involvement. Scoffers will be the bride. They will scoff. They will say, this is not true. Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, the scoffers of the world, they're, they're easy. We hear them all the time anyways. There is no God. Right? That, it's, it's almost like, you know, talk to the hand. You don't even really listen to that. The trouble is within the bride, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, that say, no, we, we just need to kind of move on. We need to, you know, handle our own stuff until we finally get to be with Jesus in death. Not recognizing that there's so much more required and desired of you. So much more. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Interesting. You know what? Let me look something up here real real fast. That just kind of hit me. I can't hit this. I shake too bad. Seriously. Interesting. Okay, that word ungodly, there is not a separation word of of God's own versus the world's. Okay, it's talking about those who, whom Peter is writing to, right? He's writing to the church. But it's talking about those who do not walk in that purity, who have not built that relationship with the Lord. So let's reread verse 7. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It is this separation which we're just in the beginning portions of. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Last thing that I want to point out here, and I'm going to restate that, but I want to point something out. Down verse 12, or 11 and 12. Since all these things are less, thus to be dissolved, the earth as we know it, keep that in your mind, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? 
So we have an opportunity literally to hasten that day to come. Don't look at that day as a negative thing. If you do, then you can't help but look at God as a mean God. That's not what this is about. His justice is not about his severity. It's not about his anger. It's not about anything more than his desire for intimacy with his people. There's a process that he has put the world in ever since the fall of man. In fact, it was first talked about in Genesis 3 when it was predicted that there would come a Messiah. And literally, it wouldn't just be the coming of the Messiah that would purchase heaven for those who would accept. But it was literally the pathway to the righteousness that we can walk in in relationship with him. That's his goal. If his goal was just to get you up there to be with him because you accepted his son as savior, man, then he's honestly wasted a lot of time. Because that could have happened the the second we accept Jesus. I mean, maybe leave a few of us here to, you know, be evangelists. But apart from that, just get them up there. If that was the point. But see, that's not the point. That's just the beginning. The point is walking in that relationship by faith. Building that relationship with him by faith. So let's go back and read here. This idea, uh, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it. So we know that there's change, earthly change, physical change to this earth that's going to happen during this period that God's calling day of the Lord. Okay, now I want you to turn to Joel. Now, in Joel, there's so much here. Um, I'm just going to read. I I don't know how how else to do this. Go to Joel chapter 2. I want to encourage you to dive into this. And there's reason for all this. By the way, there's no new information here today. For those who, who have been a part of this, there's no new information today in terms of, of what God is about to do, at least that maybe he'll release something, but, but none that I know of as of right now. But what there is today is proof. What there is today is when someone comes and says to you, why do you think we're in these times that we're in? You can go to scripture and you can show them what's going on. Not that we're in the tribulation, but what we're actually in and what is actually going on and what God is actually trying to do. So Joel chapter 2 talks about the day of the Lord. And and by the way, I'll mention this too. It's interesting, early on, the Lord, and I didn't even understand it at the time, he told me early on, years ago, that the book of Zechariah was a blueprint of what God is going to do on this earth. And I thought, you know, from here to the end, and I thought, wow, okay. And, of course, then I read Zechariah, and I thought, (laughs) 
Okay. Right over my head. Didn't understand that. And then over the months and years, God began to reveal portions as things were time to do so. Does that make sense? And now some, I don't know, five or six years later, I I see how it is a blueprint of everything that is going to happen to this earth. Not just one day of the Lord, guys. Two. Do you know Zechariah talks about that? There are two times that this happens in the book of Zechariah. Now, as a student of the Bible before, where there was no understanding or belief in in there being two, you just kind of look at it like, well, this is a different phase of Zechariah's vision. You know, I mean, he, I think there were ten visions or something that he had that, that constitutes the book of Zechariah. Well, th- this was just kind of another vision of what he had before. But when you really dive into the book and pick it apart, you'll realize that's not the case. Because there are things unique to it. And there's wording in his vision that the angel was showing him that was unique to it. Where he talks about a day of the Lord, and then he says, and then after that, this happened. And then after that, this happened. And through a series of those, you see that this happened twice. Or this will happen twice. It hasn't happened yet. But it will happen twice. And I remember talking to Shannon about this, and she and I were having this conversation, and she said, yeah, that's just like the book of Joel. And I'm thinking, you know, Joel, Joel's such a small book. Man, how'd I miss that? And so I go back and read it, and yeah, okay, I don't get it. Lord, why does Shannon get to know something I don't? That's just not fair. I'm kidding. But it caused me to dive in. Dive in and, and Lord, please show me. Show me the truth of what you have here because the entire book of Joel is prophetic, talking about the day of the Lord, talking about what God wants for his people. So let's start. Joel chapter 2. This talks about the day of the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom. Now, by the way, pay attention to this. Pay attention, because I'm going to submit to you that what I'm reading right now is not the one that we think of in the tribulation period. What I'm reading right now is the moment in which we see ourselves standing right now on this earth. So keep that in the back of your mind as we're reading through this. And also the fact that day does not mean 24 hour, it means a time period. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick dark darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been seen before, nor will be ever seen after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them. By the way, just, just let me point this out, this little thing, because God, God is found, truth is found in the nuances. Okay? He, he, he quantifies what this period is. 
Do you understand? He quantifies that, that it, it says a great and powerful people, which he will go on to explain in a little bit. Now, by the way, those are not actual people. They're angels. And it becomes very clear as we read on here. It is literally God's army. Okay, But he says, there's never been anything like it before, nor will be again after them through the years and all generations. There's a little nuance there. There's a little nuance that gives you a hint that this is not just something that is at the end, the tribulation period, for Israel. Because when Jesus comes then, it's pretty much over. Like, the enemy can't stand at all. Right? And then it's so funny how such few verses are left with after the thousand year reign, Satan's, you know, loosed for a short time and, and, you know, basically for him to just gather whoever he can deceive and they're all destroyed. Does it, and, and literally they're destroyed with a word. Not an army like this. God said, never has been seen before, never will be seen again. This is something that happens before that period of time. Recognize that. Little nuances. Recognize that. Fire devours before them. And behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. But behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Their appearance now starts to get into who they are. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of the mountains. Like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. Like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his own way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches his own path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. You get this picture of this army that is enveloping the earth. That is, I mean, it would be the, the horror film of horror films. Something that can't be stopped. There's no way to stop it. There's no way to even slow it down. This army, this movement that is coming upon the earth. And then Joel gives you a clue as to why nothing can stop it. Verse 11. The, lo- the Lord utters his voice before his army. This is his army. For his encampment is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So then Joel starts to go into the fact that we have choice. We have choice as a people group, but individually. Verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. 
In other words, don't just do something that's on the outside that looks good. Give me your heart. God wants our heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him. I'm going to go down to verse 18. Now remember that Joel is talking about a sequence of events here that's coming. He's prophetically talking about a sequence of events He talks about this day of the Lord that we just described, this great army that is being led all over the world to literally destroy. And and, and again, the Lord has revealed that it was in those three ways that I mentioned earlier. But then verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea. I I need to stop here for a second. Because if you don't understand what was just said, you won't understand what the real war is about where he said, I will remove the northerner. Okay, from the rabbinical mind, understand what that means is in the spirit. That is not, if you you look at Jerusalem, right, you look at Israel and you look at north, you have the Mediterranean Sea, right? I mean, unless you want to go this way and north, I mean, or you can consider all that stuff that's way up north. That's not what God's talking about when he's talking about the warfare. And if you want some real depth about this, I I wish I could remember what it was, but there was a podcast series a few months ago that really dives into this. Dives, I think it was called The Two Mountains or something like that. Do you remember? Yeah, I I mean, it's where the Bible lays out the authorities between Mount Harmon and Mount Zion. Okay, Mount Harmon, if, if you, I'm not going to take the time now, but, but what it symbolizes is the mount. It came out of the Tower of Babel when the nations were split up. And I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to these. But when they were split up, because in Mount Harmon, the enemy, if you will, or Baal or Baal, however, however you want to say him, he was supreme over that mountain. His mountain became the supreme in that area. And God had had enough of it, so he broke it up. Right? This was some, I don't even know, 300 years or whatever it was after the flood. Might have been a little more than that. But that became the identification for the demonic, Mount Hermon. Because that was where some of the original, in in fact, prior, and this was obviously post the the flood, but prior to Abraham, I, I think Abraham was a couple of hundred years before, or after the, uh, uh, the Tower of Babel. But 
this place was presumably where the fallen angels came down and set themselves up as gods. If, if you read about Mount Hermon, because it, it's a mount today, you could go read about it. And read its history. It, 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 you pull up the ancient history, that's what it will tell you. So, so that mountain is the mountain to the north that the Bible refers to. When it talks about armies from the north, when it talks about invasion from the north, it is talking about this literal spiritual battle between Satan coming against God's people. Right? So understand that in this. When, when, when it talks about from the north. Uh, where was I? Uh, verse 20. Yeah, I will remove the northern, uh, I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Now remember, this is all after, this is after the day of the Lord. Think of it in terms of right now. This is after the second woe. This is after God's justice, his judgment, what he is doing. Verse 21, fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruits. The fig tree and vine Give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And and he talks about all of this releasing of his glory. Okay, understand what that refers to. That refers to what he promised in Revelation 3, verse 9, to the bride. That before he comes to take his ready bride, which is in verse 10, verse 9 talks about the world bowing in respect, not in worship, in respect to the church. We know that hasn't happened yet, right? But it will happen It will happen because what God is literally setting up in this day of the Lord, in this time period, is bringing about the change of this earth, bringing about the the authoritative structure to where the bride will lead this earth. That's a tough statement to be online saying. Okay, click him off right now. It's truth what's coming it's what God is doing in his bride and you look at what's going on right now it looks just the opposite of that but see God is a fair and righteous God God would not simply just remove what is making this mess without exposing the sin of it Because then there would be no lesson for us to learn. Nothing for us to understand that was was his righteousness pouring into us. He wants the world to see that. Because when his light 
in this darkness that is coming, right, he said that the light will be in those who walk in purity with him. The light will be in those who love Jesus Christ. And they will stand out. Because they will hold the very hope that the world needs. And think about it. The world follows hope. They really, really do. So God has this measure. After this day of the Lord, after this period of time, he has this measure of his his joy on his bride. And that's what it's talking about. But this is what I wanted to get to. And I know we're, we're almost done. This is what I want to get to. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass. I'm going to read this verse. You, you guys all know this, these verses. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This, th- these verses are literally what the book of Joel is known for. Peter quotes it in, in the first sermon he gives after Pentecost, or at Pentecost. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. By using this example of Joel, when Peter spoke at Pentecost to those 3,000 people, He also stated that the end times have now begun, right? But he also referred to Joel and what Joel was saying as being manifest to the church. To the church, there's a difference. Not that he would manifest that in Israel. Not that he would manifest that through the law. Or when they finally rebuild the temple, he'll manifest it through the temple. No, Peter was declaring that the times have begun and it will be manifest through his bride. He was saying that because of the miracles that were happening. And yet, even though it was a portion, it's not actually what was said here. Certainly not to the degree. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So there's a little nugget of evidence here that shows you timing. And this is important. This is important. It it, it comes down to to a single word. Because you can say, well, you know, these are just kind of thoughts that Joel's putting out there. Until you read one word. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward. Literally that word there means in the Hebrew, after these things. After the thing, after what things? The things that we just read. After the day of the Lord happening. After the Lord seeing that and relenting for his people and bringing back their prosperity. After that, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's not been seen yet. How do I know that? Because the day of the Lord hasn't been seen yet. And if you recognize this as being the end of the tribulation period, and this is what you have to remember, 
Because people are going to come to you and they're going to tell you about that. No, this isn't right now. This is the end. I know. I Trust me, I learned that in seminary. That's what they teach. But you say here, no, wait a second. If this is afterwards, then what's the point? If he pours out his spirit, we know what happens in the book of Revelation. You have the tribulation period. The day of the Lord is literally the second half of that. The second, the three, second three and a half years. Jesus comes at the end, right? And he takes control. He defeats the enemy. Satan is thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. And Jesus begins to reign on earth from his throne, takes the throne of David, which he has a right to, and reigns for a thousand years. What's the point of him pouring out his spirit when he is already here? I mean, you might be able to argue that, well, yeah, but we can't all be with him. Okay, but yeah, we can all be with his spirit. We're that way now, and he's not even here. See, the point is that he doesn't need to do it then, because he will be physically there. This happens before. This is the indicator that this is something that will happen before. This is what happens to the bride, and I want to show you proof of that. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is known as the love chapter. You all know this chapter. But there's a point in here that I want to point out. I want you to remember. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, here's where I want to get to. Sorry. Verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, when he pours out his spirit on all of them, It does not mean that everybody is given the full value of his prophecy. We know this. We know that we're just like what it said. We prophesy in part. He gives different parts to different people in the bride for what? For us coming together. For us unifying. For us actually bringing that information together. Do you know, if we all were in unity, we would know exactly what the Lord's telling us as a body. And I don't mean as ignition, I'm talking about the bride. Because he speaks in part. He wants us to unify while he is there. We unify with him and with each other by faith. But he said, wait a second, that's going to come to an end. That's going to come to an end. When? When the perfect comes, partial will pass away. By the way, I I can't help but point this out because this drives me insane. I used to be a cessationist, someone who doesn't believe in the gifts and all that, that they ended with the apostles. And this is the verse right here that they use. 
I can say that because it's what I used. <laughs> well, well, it's when the perfect comes, we don't need all of that. And the perfect came. It came. It came in, in what was it, A.D. 300, when, when we had the, the, the whole Bible just kind of came together and, and, and it was all solidified. And it's complete. It's done. Yay. We don't need to have any more prophecy because we have everything right here that God needs us to know. Oh, what a foolish, foolish thought that is. First of all, if you think that the perfect is these 66 books of the Word of God, because it's, by the way, the word perfect there means complete. Complete, nothing else. If you think this is God's complete voice that he wants for mankind, you're fooling yourself. You're blind. That's not what the perfect is. The perfect, and by the way, the Lord says that himself. He gives proof of that very thing himself. In Revelation, it talks about the seven thunders that spoke. And John went to write them down, and God said, no, 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 no. Or the angel said, no, no, don't write those. Those are for a different time, a time that is coming. Wait a second. So they, they, weren't, they weren't included in the canon? So maybe it's not as complete as people say. However, I want to point out that it is complete in his character. Every word is God-breathed. In those 66 books, that is God's word to us to say, here is my character. Know me. Build relationship with me because I have other things that I want to say to you. That's what the, the perfect here is not the canonicity of the Bible. The perfect here is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the perfect. When he comes in that thousand year ring, there is no need for the spirit to be poured out because he will be here. He will physically be here on this earth and he will physically be reigning on this earth. There is no need for that. So let's go back. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass after these things. After the day of the Lord. And after the Lord restores his people. After those things. I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. You want evidence of two days of the Lord? There's one of them right there. That's a key one. It shows that what Joel is talking about when it talks about the day of the Lord right here is not the one that is at the end that brings the nations to their knees for Jerusalem's sake. Recognize Jerusalem does not recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah. Now, if they did, I'd be saying something a whole lot different right now. But they don't. 
They don't. In fact, it is the very process that we're in, the very reason why there is a foreshadowing, the very reason why the day of the Lord happens twice is for the single purpose of Romans 11.11, which is making Israel jealous. See, they're going to look through these things and they're going to see what's happening to the bride. And it will make them jealous. That's why they killed Paul. Because Paul was a a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he was the one who said the Gentiles were grafted in. And, And you could go through the book of Galatians. It's really, really amazing. Because Paul said... How much better, because the Gentiles were grafted in, how much better is the fact that Israel will be regrafted in? That's the word he used. Not that they never left. In fact, they did. When they rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, they literally rejected their own future. Their own Messiah called for them. They rejected him. That means, it says in, that, in, in the book, Paul talks about them being cut off as a branch. They're no longer connected to the vine. But how easy will it be to graft them back in, he says. You see, all they have to do is believe. Now, this is the difference between individual and nation. Because there are millions of Jews who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And they're the bride, just like any of us are the bride. That's why all were grafted in. But the uniqueness of Jesus coming back, he said on his triumphal entry, that he will not return until they call him Messiah. Until Jerusalem calls him Messiah. As a nation, Israel calling him Messiah, that will happen hasn't happened yet. This day of the Lord that we are in and coming up to is a second one. It, well, technically it's the first one. But there are two in Scripture. Recognize that. Because if you don't recognize the times, fear will grip you. If you don't recognize what's going on and that This is being controlled by God, not Satan. Fear will grip you. Fear is one thing. We read it in the book of Joel. Fear is one thing that that army does very well. Not not that they make somebody fear, but they produce fear. If you see an army coming at you that can't be stopped, it kind of makes you a little nervous, right? Don't be afraid, because you can know the times. And I know, I know here I'm talking to a lot of people that do know, but recognize you're responsible because people are going to come to you. They're going to see your light. They're going to see, why do you have hope? Why do you feel good about what's going on? They're going to want to know why. And especially the bride, you're going to have to, 
you're going to need to be able to take them to Scripture and say you don't have to be afraid. Just like it said in Joel 2, just go before the Lord. Ask repentance. He has a soft heart. He has a heart that wants our turnaround. He literally died for it. And he fights for it today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we worship you and we praise you. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. We thank you that in your scripture, you give answers to literally everything. But you don't give it such that we could just pull it out informationally and kind of tuck it away in a category. These are all things that you reveal to your friends. Just like Jesus when you spoke to your disciples in John chapter 15 and said, you were all my servants, but through this relationship, you have become my friends. It's your friends that you speak to. The one who was closest to you, at least that is evidenced by scripture, John, you revealed probably more about the future than to anyone else, any other single Prophet, perhaps, certainly in the New Testament. Father, draw us to you in relationship and intimacy because there are things that you want to tell people of your bride. There are pieces that we're supposed to hold in our intimacy with you that is to be shared with the bride drawing us together in unity. We're not to be afraid of these times. We're to be a light. We're to be bold. We're to stand up. We're to lead. We're not to cower. We're not to follow. We're not to fall down in fear. As the earth grows darker... And it will go darker exponentially quickly. As it grows darker, we are to be a light. And the darkness literally gives the opportunity for that light to be brighter. I don't normally do this. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The Lord's having me do this. Anybody who wants to be prayed over in regards to these times and the boldness of their light, nobody looking around, this is between you and God, but I want you to stand. Anybody who wants to be prayed over for the boldness of their light, I want you to stand. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about anything else. Be between you and the Lord. I'm not even looking around myself. You online, 
Nobody's looking at you, but the Lord is. Just stand if you want this prayer. Father, you see the hearts of those standing before you who have asked for this boldness, asked for your light to work seamlessly through them. I pray, Father, that you do just that. I pray, Father, that in these coming days, this coming time, you will use them as a source of hope. Use them as a source of revealing you. And that there is hope in knowing your Son as Savior and building relationship with him. There is hope for the days that are coming are dark. The days that are even upon us are dark, but it will get a whole lot darker. And your light needs to shine on this earth. I pray for those that are standing here. I pray for those that are standing online, standing wherever they are, standing in Nigeria. I pray, Father, that you bless their yes. Whenever we say yes to you, there is always a stretching of our faith. But it is for our intimacy. It is for our blessing, literally, of knowing you more. I pray that over this group. And you can sit down. Lord, I pray that you have your way and your will in this earth. As you have prepared your bride to move forward, Move her forward. As you have prepared ignition to walk in your will, help her to walk in your will. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.